0: Well, let's get our Bibles tonight and be turning to the book of, where y'all want to go tonight, besides home, <laughs> the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, tonight, Lord willing, we'll have a little time at the end, I just really want to speak spend some time in prayer again tonight. At the end, I tell you, we need to be praying, um, because God is our, at the end of the day, He's our only source, and I'm going to look at what I consider, you know, really a um, unique situation in the life of Judah, the nation of Judah. And it has to do with prayer, and it has to do with our t- topic the last few weeks about you know, relating to the government. But it has to do with a time when uh, the Babylonians were laying siege upon Judah and Jerusalem, and nothing they could do, nothing they could do could change it. As a matter of fact, not only could they not change it, God said he wasn't going to change it. And will numerous times he says, don't even bother to pray about it because I'm not going to answer it. Now, when, God, when you get to that place, when God says you're wasting your time praying, you're in a bad place. And um, so we're going to look at this together and um, trust that God will encourage us. Maybe you've never really... Uh, put the put these things together in the scripture. You'd find it helpful. Uh, Jeremiah chapter thirty-two. Let's stand together, please. And in verse one, it says, "The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar." That's That's spelled differently than Nebuchadnezzar, but it's the same person. There's an R there instead of the N. Now, this is interesting because uh, we have an exact timeline here in verse 1. It says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Now, the Israel and Judah are separate at this time, separate kingdoms. Israel to the north, Judah to the south, Jerusalem's the capital of Judah. And it's the 10th year of Zedekiah. Now hold your finger right here if you would, and let's just turn over a little further in the book, and then we'll come back to uh, Jeremiah 32, and then we'll pray. But in Jeremiah chapter 39, it says in verse 1, in the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem. They besieged it. So verse, chapter 39, verse 1 tells us that the siege upon Jerusalem started in the tenth month. Or excuse me, in the... Uh, yeah... In the ninth year, the ninth year, the tenth month. So the ninth year of Zedekiah. So the ninth year of Zedekiah, the siege began. But if you look in chapter thirty-two, go back there in verse one. When did God speak to Jeremiah? This particular revelation. It was in the tenth year of Zedekiah. So the city was already under siege. And by the way, uh, I you know I can remember studying about this and history, I guess it was history, social studies, about what a siege is. And in case case you were sleeping when that took place, a siege is when an enemy would surround a city. And they're not in any big hurry. They'll surround the city, they'll cut off the water supply, they'll cut off the food supply, and they'll basically starve them to the place that they have to give up. So this has been going on for about a year when God spoke to uh, Jeremiah. Now you might think, well, how long did the siege last? This one lasted about a year and a half or two, two years plus before they finally gave in. You say, well, how bad could it be? In one place in the Bible we read about during a siege when people were eating their own children, eating their babies. So it gets gets pretty dire and desperate, right, in a siege. So we're already into this siege for about a, a year approximately when we read in chapter 32 and verse 1. Verse 2 says, For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet, what was he doing during this time? He was shut up in the court of the prison which was in the king of Judah's house, in Zedekiah's house. He's in prison. And why is he there, verse 3? For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, put him in prison, saying, This is what Zedekiah's charge against him was. Wherefore dost thou prophesy, he's speaking to Jeremiah, Wherefore dost thou prophesy and say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Jeremiah had been saying that, that God's going to take this city and give it to to Babylon. Verse 4, And, this is a part of Jeremiah's message, And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. and shall speak with him. Zedekiah, the king of Judah, will speak to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Shall speak with him face, mouth to mouth, and his eyes shall behold his eyes. And he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon. And there shall he be until I visit him, saith the Lord. That was Jeremiah's message. Zedekiah didn't like the message. Zedekiah didn't agree with the message. So what do you do? You just lock him up. Lock the preacher up. That'll fix the problem. And notice the last part of verse 5. Though you fight with the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans synonymous with the Babylonians. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not prosper. And he told Zedekiah, you might as... Don't lift a finger. Don't fight against them because you're not going to win. So... Let's just look into this together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Help us to learn about the people of God, about the enemies of God, and help us to learn about ourselves and for your will to be done in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I know what you were thinking. This is going to be one of those sermons where you stand up the whole time, but... Not quite. So Judah is under attack from this pagan empire, the Babylonian empire. They've been under siege for a time. Jerusalem is the capital city. It's been surrounded and under siege for quite some time. And God says, you're you're wasting your time if you fight against these people. Now, I've been thinking about this passage a lot as we've been teaching about at what point you know would a, would a Christian have the uh, biblical authority to resist a government or resist some mandate or those kinds of things. Well, here's a case where God said to his people, you're, the, you're not to lift your finger against these people, right? And there's a reason for that, and I think we, we'll see that as we look into the scripture. Now, just a reminder as we get into the scripture tonight just some basic bible study principles we are not israel we are not judah sometimes we have this tendency to think that everything god says about israel applies to us but it's not true god dealt with these people uniquely as a matter of fact uh, he he called them the apple of his eye and i believe the I believe the Bible that says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I believe that God wants to bless nations. I believe God puts down nations and and raises up nations. But you can't take everything that God did with Israel and apply it to our life. And America is sure not Israel or Judah. And we sing that chorus sometimes. Every promise in the book is mine. I like the chorus, but it's not true. Every promise in the book is not ours. For instance, when God said to Joshua after the death of Moses, and God said, every place you put your foot down is yours. That's not for you and me. We may make some application of that but that was given to them can you see that so so don't make the mistake of thinking everything god says about them is about us but it's not but god did say this in romans and in first corinthians basically that all these things that happened to them were written for our admonition They they were to be in samples to us, which means a type, a figure, something we can learn from, we get principles from. That's why I love the Old Testament. Not because I believe every bit of it applies directly to us, but because it's filled with principles that we find in the New Testament as well. So let's look at Judah's situation. They're facing these dire circumstances because of what? Because of their rebellion. And why are, they in, why are they being dealt with so severely? Because they refuse to respond to God's correction. They refuse to obey God's prophets. Let's look at some examples. We're going to look at a number of passages tonight through, through the book of Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 2. We'll start in the beginning of the book and then we'll go to the end of the book. Jeremiah chapter 2. And we're going to see some examples of this, how God has been dealing with these people. And some people might look at this and say, why was God so impatient with these people? God was very patient with these people. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 29, the Lord is saying, Wherefore will ye plead with me? Why are you pleading with me? Ye all have transgressed against me, saith the Lord. Notice verse 30. In vain have I smitten your children. They received no correction. Your own sword hath devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. We don't, know, we don't have any idea how many prophets there were in the Old Testament period. We know the names of some of them that's recorded in the word of God. But there were many other prophets. And one of the things Jeremiah says is your own children would not respond to correction. And he's not talking about just kids who won't take out the trash. He's talking about their disobedience and rebellion toward God. And he says, with your sword, you killed prophets. Now, they're going to be, they're, I don't think, I'm just thinking out loud here. I don't think there's a book of the Bible that speaks more about false prophets than Jeremiah does. They were a dime a dozen in Jeremiah's day. But the, they weren't killing the false prophets. They were killing their prophets, God's prophets. You know why? They didn't want to hear what they had to say. Go to Jeremiah chapter... 26, and we'll come back later to 32, but we're going to go to a lot of places tonight. Jeremiah chapter 26, talking about how these people were disobedient and rebellion, rebellious. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 26, let's start reading in verse uh, 2, it says, Thus saith the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house. This is what he's telling Jeremiah to do. Stand in the court of the Lord's house. This would be similar to that area we're talking about on Sunday mornings, you know, where you're in the temple area and all the people come there. And speak, he says in verse 2, unto all the cities of Judah, which come to worship in the Lord's house. Speak to them all the words that I command thee to speak unto them. Diminish not a word. If so be... Now here's a great provision. This is God's message at this moment through Jeremiah. If so be, they will hearken and turn every man from his evil way. That I, God, may repent me of the evil. Evil not being sinful, but evil being painful, harmful things which I purpose to do unto them because of the evil of their doings. He says, maybe they'll repent, maybe they'll turn. Verse 4. And thou shalt say unto them, thus saith the Lord. Here was God's straightforward um, opportunity for them. If you will not hearken to me to walk in my law which I have set before you, to hearken to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent unto you, both rising up early and sending them, but you have not hearkened. Then will I make this house like Shiloh, and will make this city a curse to all the nations of the earth. So, how are they going to handle this message that Jeremiah is preaching to them? Verse 7. So the priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people. That the priests and the prophets and all the people took him saying thou shalt surely die. Imagine that. How did the people say, you need to die, we we want you dead? For doing what? For preaching the truth. For giving us the word of God. So if you wonder why would God allow this Babylonian invasion, this siege upon Jerusalem, this situation that there was no remedy for. That was part of the language he used in Jeremiah, there's no remedy it's because they directly disobeyed and refused to receive chastisement from God. And all the while, and if you've read through Jeremiah recently, you may remember this. All the while that Jeremiah is saying, you need to just accept your punishment. I'm paraphrasing. You need to accept the chastisement and you don't don't lift a finger against the Babylonians. You need to take what you've got coming. There are false prophets that are telling the people to resist and rebel. Two entirely different messages. God's prophet is saying, submit to this pagan government and the false prophets are saying, rebel and resist against this pagan government. And Jeremiah is warning them in so many places. Let's just look at one. Look, if you're in Jeremiah, there 26. Go to the right to Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah chapter 27. And we're going to read about five verses here, but we want to notice a couple of things about these conflicting messages coming from Jeremiah and the other false prophet, the false prophets. Jeremiah 27 and verse 8. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdom which will not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence until I have consumed them by his hand. Now, God is, who's God going to deal severely with? Those who will not serve Nebuchadnezzar, right? If I was in their day, I wouldn't want to serve Nebuchadnezzar, right? Those are the people that are going to pay dearly for it, though. Verse 9, Jeremiah's preaching. Therefore, hearken not ye to your prophets... Nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. He said, Don't listen to any of those people that are preaching and telling you you're not supposed to serve the king of Babylon. Now, are you with me so far? We're with you. I can tell. Verse 10 says, For they prophesy a lie to you to remove you far from your land. The reason they're doing that is they want to get you out of the land and that I should drive you out and you would perish. But the nations... Notice this, verse 11. But the nations that bring their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him... Those will I let remain still in their own land, saith the Lord, and they shall till it and dwell therein. I spake also to Zedekiah king of Judah, according to all these words, saying, Bring your necks. This was what he said to the king. Bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. He said, if you'll just submit, and he and why is he saying submit? I'm gonna say this, I've already said it, I'm gonna say it again, I'm sure. Why did he say to it, Judah and to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, submit to this king, because God, this was God's chastisement. This was God's punishment against them. Verse 13. Why will you die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? So Jeremiah's warning them, and as many times as I've read this book, I always am just uh, challenged by it, and I'm also encouraged by it, because it's so unique, right, it's because there are many places in the Bible where God told his people to stand up to the enemies as a matter of fact sometimes God wiped out entire armies even hundred a thousand people himself without man lifting a hand but here he's saying submit to that wicked King let Don't raise your finger. As a matter of fact, he said, if you rebel, it's going to be bad for you. If you'll put your neck under his yoke, it'll be good for you. By the way, it's true in our life that sometimes God does chasten us. And when when God chastens us, he wants us to submit to that chastisement. I remember one time my mama whooped me now she whipped me more than once but one time stands out to me whooped is kind of this it's kind of like a whipping but it's a lot worse she had me her left arm had my left arm and I was I was a young teenager at that time and she had a belt in her right hand and she had me her left hand on my left hand and we were going around in circles And I was trying to outrun that belt. It wasn't pleasant. Can you you kind of get the picture in your head? I can still see it. I'm running. I'm trying to outrun that belt. Now that's what you call not submitting to chastisement. Right? And that's the way Israel was. They did not. The reason they're in this place is not because Babylon is such a great country. It's not because Babylon is such a mighty country, though they were a world empire. It's not because God was impatient. It was their own doing. They refused to obey. They refused to listen to the preacher. They didn't like what the preacher had to say. They weren't going to do what the preacher said. And so they're not accepting their punishment. And I mentioned this earlier, but let's look at a couple of examples of this. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. And Jeremiah, we're going to see a couple of places where God said, don't even, don't even bother praying for them. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 16, for instance. Therefore pray not thou for this people. Neither lift up cry nor prayer for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Don't even bother praying for them. You're wasting your time. I mean, when you get to the place that prayer is not an option, you're in a bad place. Amen? Amen. Go to the right a little bit from Jeremiah 7 to Jeremiah 11. Jeremiah chapter 11... We see the similar thing in verse 14. Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry or prayer for them. For I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. I'm not going to hear them. When they're crying to me because of what they're going through, I'm not going to hear them. Go to the right, just a couple of other pages, to Jeremiah chapter 15. This is really a, uh, I, I'm always uh, struck by this. Brother Justin and I were talking about this the other day. Jeremiah 15, one, Then said the Lord unto me, Jeremiah said, Then said the Lord to me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be toward this people. Cast them out of my sight and let them go forth. Now, the only only thing I can assume from that is God's the one that brought up Moses and Samuel because these were men of great prayer. You remember one time Moses, when God was going to wipe Israel out, God said, I'm done with them. And Moses interceded for them and prayed for them and, and gave a reason for it. Then God let them live. In Samuel, there were times when the, Israel would ask Samuel, Samuel who was the, uh, a pro, the prophet, the man of God, and Samuel, they would say, would you pray for us? Two different times I can think of when they said, please pray for us. And Samuel prayed for them and God answered them. But God said, I don't, if, it was, if I had Samuel and Moses standing before me right now and they prayed for them, it would make no difference. Because Jeremiah might have been thinking, well, maybe I just don't know how to pray like I ought to. Maybe if I was a better prayer, and so God says, I don't care who's standing before me and praying, it's not going to make a difference. Do y'all believe this is in the Bible? It's really in the Bible. I think it's a fascinating portion of Scripture to think about. We tend to think, as a rule, because God is merciful, because God is compassionate, That always, if we pray for God's mercy, then God's going to hear us and answer us. But that's not necessarily true. Because there was something that God was looking for that he was not finding. And we all know the answer. What was God looking for? He's looking for repentance. Over and over and over and over again, God gives them this opportunity to repent, to get right. They refused to do it. No, we're not going to do that. No, Jeremiah said, I'm telling you, just submit to to the chastisement and do what God says he wants to do. But they said, no, we're not going to do that. They refused to repent. And Zedekiah said, Zedekiah threw him in jail because he said to Zedekiah, the king of Babylon is going to take you to Babylon and you're going to stand Eyeball to eyeball with the king of Babylon, and he threw him in jail. He said, I'm not going to submit to that. Hold your finger right here and go to Jeremiah 39. We'll see how this uh, rebellion on the part of Zedekiah is working out for him. Jeremiah 39 and verse 4. And it came to pass, well, let's just just back up to verse 1. We read verse 1 a while ago. In the ninth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, in the tenth month came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army against Jerusalem, and they besieged it. Now verse 2 says, this is fast forwarding, there's a lot of time in between, two years in between verse 1 and verse 2. And in the 11th year of Zedekiah, in the fourth month, the ninth day of the month, the city was broken up. Verse 3, and all the princes of the king of Babylon came in and sat in the middle gate. I'm telling you, this is... When you think about who this is and where this is, this is God's people, this is Jerusalem, this is the, the, the city on a hill, Mount Zion, and now we have these Babylonians crush this, or crushing the city and coming into the gates of the city. Verse 4 says, And it came to pass that when Zedekiah the king of Judah saw them, and all the men of war that they fled, and went forth out of the city by night, Here's Zedekiah running. By the way of the king's garden, by the gate betwixt the two walls, and he went out the way of the plain. But the Chaldeans, the Babylonian army, pursued after them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. So that tells us exactly where he was, traveling east out of Jerusalem. And when they had taken him, they brought him up, To Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, to Riblah, in the land of Hamath, where he gave judgment. He, the king of Babylon, gave judgment upon him, Zedekiah, the king of Judah. Then the king of Babylon slew the sons of Zedekiah in Riblah before his eyes. He watched as his sons were slaughtered. Also the king of Babylon slew all the nobles of Judah. Moreover, he put out Zedekiah's eyes, gouged his eyes out, and bound him with chains to carry him to Babylon. And the Chaldeans burned the king's house and the houses of the people with fire and break down the walls of Jerusalem. Isn't that something? Don't you think Zedekiah wished he had it to do over again? Huh? Huh? Don't you, th- don't, you wish, don't you think right now when he's watching his kids being slaughtered, when they're gouging his eyes out, leading a blind man with chains to Babylon? I, I, I have to believe he's thinking about all those times he heard Jeremiah preach and Jeremiah said, just submit to the king. If you'll just submit to the king, you can stay here and live. If you'll just accept your punishment and accept your chastisement, you can, you know, it's a, it's a hard thing to humble yourself and accept judgment in it, chastisement, rebuke. It's a hard thing to accept that. It's a prideful thing that keeps us from submitting and accepting our, our punishment. But Zedekiah just refused to, I'm not saying I'd do any different. Zedekiah just refused to take it, but boy, Heidi. Don't you know he regrets that decision? I think this is such an interesting story. Because God was going to chastise his people one way or another, and nothing could stop him. The king couldn't stop him. Jeremiah couldn't stop it. If Moses and Samuel had been there, they couldn't have stopped it. Prayer wouldn't stop it. God would not be stopped. Isn't that, that's that's, that's really incredible. Sometimes, prayer is not enough. Now, what makes this like it is? And I want to really emphasize this again and leave it. This was unique. This was unusual. This was not the norm. normally, and we could take the Bible and go through and look at a lot of occasions. In Hezekiah's day, in Jehoshaphat's day, in, in Nehemiah's day, when God heard the prayer of his people and God answered their prayer and God defeated their enemies and God gave victory to his people. You and I both know there are a lot in the Bible that you can find that. But you don't find it here. And the reason we don't find it is because this Babylon wasn't, the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar were not just an enemy of God's people, they were an instrument of God's judgment. That's why they couldn't stop them. They were the tool that God was going to use. And by the way, at the time that Jeremiah wrote, I, was, I, I could have included this in the message, but I'm just going to kind of tell it to you. In the time that Jeremiah wrote, there was a group of people that weren't, that went away into Babylon. By the way, the king honored Jeremiah, the king Nebuchadnezzar, and said, you can do whatever you wanted. You can stay here. You can go to Babylon. You can go to Egypt. He ended up going to Egypt. But... Jeremiah wrote to the people that were t- taken captive. Now, try to remember this if you can. The next time you read it, it'll mean something to you, maybe if you had not never noticed it. But Jeremiah wrote to the people that were in Babylon who were taken away captive, and this is, he said a couple of things to them. He said, look, you're going to be there for 70 years. Start planting gardens. Have you ever read that? Plant a garden. Have a house raise your family, have your kids, raise your kids. I'm, I'm adding a little bit, but the garden part, I remember for sure. <laughs> and he says this. There are prophets there in Babylon that are telling you still to rebel against the, Nebu- the Babylonians. He said, ignore them. Ignore them, because you're going to be there. Enjoy it for 70 years, and 70 years, I'm going to bring you home. Amen. By the way, it happened just that way. It always happens the way God said it's going to happen. So I don't use this as an example of saying we should always submit to everything the government says because that does not, that does not sync with everything else we see in the Bible. Even in the New Testament, sometimes when they said, don't preach, they said, Uh, you know, you can decide for yourself whether you're going to obey God or obey a man, but as for us, we're going to obey God. So this is not, so people could read this and say, we ought to always submit to everything the government, that's not what this is saying. If I thought that I was in a nation that was being overwhelmed and taken over as a part of God's judgment, and I felt like God was saying just submit to that chastisement because that's what they're here for, I would want to submit to that. But that's not every case. Here's where, this is what I want to end with, here's where King Zedekiah and the people made their mistake. They refuse to humble themselves and repent and seek God's face. Because if they would have, God would have heard their prayer. God would have. You know, I'm really... I'm really, truly burdened that we need to pray. We need God's help. We, we desperately do. In our community, in our church, we need God's help. We need for God to work. And you say, well, they, 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 if they'd have prayed, it wouldn't have mattered. You know, all our prayers are not always answered. Right, the way we want them to be, right? Why why wouldn't God answer our prayers? Sometimes, sometimes it's just not God's time. We get in a hurry sometimes, and sometimes it's not God's will. We ask for things that are not even God's will. You ask and ask amiss. James says that you might consume it upon your own lust. There are things I've wanted that God just didn't want. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, "Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven." And sometimes, and this is the case here, sometimes we might ask for something, but you know what we're asking? Listen, I don't miss this. We're asking God to take something away and God has a purpose for it in our life, right? That's why he wouldn't take this away. God had a purpose for it. It could be, you know, we pray and pray for God. Please do this, please do this. Maybe God, maybe God would like us to sit quietly and think sometimes and think, you know, Maybe this is in my life for a reason. Do you think God would do that? Sure he would. He's done it more than once. But we have so many examples in the Bible. We have one we have very rare examples of a place where God says don't pray. We have multitudes of examples where God says you need to pray. Right? We need to be praying. Life is good. God is good. We survived the COVID. All is well, right? All is not well. All is not well in St. Clair, Missouri. All is not well in some of our homes and families. All is not well in our church we need God we need God to work we ought to ask him to work amen and I want to end with that we ought to ask him to work God can do anything if God told me to quit asking for certain things I would like to be sensitive enough and alert enough that I would quit asking But a lot of the things that we're burdened about, God didn't tell us not to ask. He admonishes us to ask. In this very book, we have a promise, not for this people, but for generally, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Amen? Amen.